There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Welcome to the newest episode of Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. I'm your host, Jason Fraley, picking the brains of the top filmmakers, musicians, and artists of our time. Classic rock band America is coming to the Weinberg Center in Frederick, Maryland on Saturday night. I spoke to co-founder Dewey Bunnell about the band's biggest hits, from Horse With No Name to Sister Golden Hair. Hey, Dewey, thanks so much for joining us on WTOP. Great to be here, Jason. Thanks for having me. We're talking uh, the America 50th anniversary tour that's coming to the Weinberg Center in my hometown, actually, of Frederick, Maryland. Love when these, you know, famous bands come through the area. Um, 50 years. Can you believe it, man? (laughs) Well, you can add two more because COVID set us back from our celebrating our 50th anniversary, which would have been 2020. We started in 1970. So, um we had all big plans for 2020, but we've been on ice for these years. So, but yeah, it's a fantastic milestone. I never would have expected it when we were teenagers starting this thing. Well, take me back to those days. I know our listeners, you know, they, they know the band America, but you're from, you're from England. So, <laughs> um, tell, yeah, um, that's a point of, of, uh, of interest. We are Americans. We were always Americans. You know, American citizens, American passports, but we were we were kids of fathers in the Air Force. So we were stationed over there in London in the late 60s and went to a high school there, an American school for people like us, you know, for families and civilians who wanted their kids to be in an American school system. So that's how we ended up there. Gotcha. So that's how that all works. All right. So what wait, so when you were when you were growing up then over there, what sort of bands were you into? Was it a lot of, you know, I assume the Beatles were really big then if you're growing up over there? Oh yeah, absolutely. We were very fortunate. I mean, we we'd come from the States ourselves, uh, from different families, different backgrounds, but we always agree that we compared notes when we met each other over there, that we all were listening to the British invasion artists that were coming to the US at the time and before that, of course, the Beach Boys we loved and surf music. I was into instrumental bands, surf bands like the Ventures and uh, Dick Dale and the Deltones and the Surfaris and people. But when we got to England, yeah, it was like fantastic for to be, you know, 16, 17, 18, 19 year olds that we were going into London, seeing all kinds of shows live and uh, everybody from Hendrix, Led Zeppelin, The Who. Pink Floyd, we saw all these great live shows and festivals and you name it. But yeah, we were certainly waiting with bated breath for the next Beatle album. And, you know, in those days, that was our life. Uh, we certainly didn't have the distractions that young people have today with social media and the internet. And we have so access to so much. It was waiting around for vinyl pressings, release dates and getting some tickets to a live show. And TV over there was minimal. There was a couple of shows top of the pops being the the big one for 
once a week, Top of the Pops would come on and you'd see some live show performances of, uh, or lip synced, whatever they were in those days, of some artists. But, you know, that was it. It was, uh, it was a fun time to be American kids over there, though. Absolutely. Tell me how you met Jerry Beckley and Dan Peake. It was in high school, right? It was in high school. Yeah. And like I said, we were just, we were all from different places. Dan's family was actually coming um, from, I think they were in Pakistan and Jerry's family were over in Germany. Both of their dads were, were uh, officers. My dad was a senior master sergeant. Um, but anyway, that's neither here nor there. But we'd come from different places. We were coming from California ourselves. Uh, my dad had been stationed up in San Jose, California. But, you know, Jerry and I both had British grandmother, British mothers. So my mom's family was in Yorkshire, England, and Jerry's family was there. So we had that extra added thing. But we just, uh, we had the common uh, interest in guitar playing and music. And Jerry was actually there when I got there and had a little band, a school band, and he was kind of the leader of that. And I immediately, you know, was attracted to his talents and we hit it off. And then Dan came a bit later and he was a great lead guitar player, more of a rock guy. And, you know, we, we graduated in 1969, having been in a high school band, but we didn't know what we were doing with our lives. Uh, Dan actually went back to college for one semester in Virginia, but came back and Jerry and I were working at the base, uh, you know, just in a manual labor job in the warehouses. And, uh, but we'd been writing songs and playing on the side and, uh, we just compared notes and started putting these songs together and saying, maybe we can do something with this. And one thing led to another, we met this guy, we met that guy, we, went to this office and that and shopped ourselves around and uh, we got traction right away with, with what ultimately became the first album songs. Yeah. And speaking of which, that was the self-titled debut of album called America came out in 1971. And of course the big, you know, the big hit off of that one was a horse with no name, which I believe you yourself wrote, right, sir? Yeah. So oh, how, did, how did that song come to you? What's, what is, what is the, the meaning behind it for all our listeners that sing with the song over the years, but they <laughs> never stopped to think about what it means. Gee, I've never been asked that question. <laughs> <laughs> I'm answering oh. the question for the million. Time. <laughs> yeah. well as i've said and i do have a fairly standard explanation of the song but you know to be honest it has morphed in my mind over the years a little bit but the reality is that i was reminiscing about the sights and sounds of the desert my dad uh, like i said earlier was stationed in some remote bases down in the southwest my his older brother and his family lived in uh, new mexico and we'd visit them so i became very enamored by the desert and basically the out of doors, my brother and I, that's what, that was what we did. We moved so much that we, my brother and I were pretty tight and we spent a lot of time outside poking around the woods or down at the lake or river, wherever we lived And the desert was the theme on that one. And really it was, we'd been there by then five years, we'd been in England and it was rainy and pretty gloomy at times and not long summers or hot summers by any stretch. So I really wanted to revisit those feelings and sights and sounds. And that's what I, when I write songs, I try to put in as much imagery, imagery as I can cram into three minutes. And that was the, that was the result on that 
particular song and lo and behold gratefully so it was it was a big hit it really was and then so that's sort of the writing of it but in the you know the recording of it take me into the la 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 was that something was that in the original <laughs> composition of it or did that come to you guys as you're in the studio or something well, I'd written the whole song. It was in those days we each sat in our bedrooms wherever we lived, still with our parents in some cases, and wrote songs and brought them to the table. And we'd knock out, we'd work out the arrangements and the vocal harmonies and things. So I already had the la la's in there. I thought at the time I might put some lyrics in there, but um, it, that song in particular just kind of fell out in a two hour session sitting on the bed at my friend's house. And the la la's were in there. And uh, I guess in the process, as I recall, of arranging the vocal harmonies, the three-part harmonies, which we were very attracted to and always loved that fact, that feature in any song, the Beach Boys, the Beatles, everybody, even the Everly Brothers before that. Lots of bands, obviously, it's not a new thing. But the La La's just stayed. That was all there was to it. Right, of course. Well, I know, um, just moving along a little bit, I know, I guess... I guess Jerry wrote I Need You, but I guess what was your next? I guess Venture Highway might have been the next one that you wrote that was a big one. Or did you? You might have written Sandman, too, I think, in there. I but, did. Um, but uh, tell me about, I guess, um, I want to know about the Tin Man, because, you know, is is that a, obviously a Wizard of Oz reference? But um, how, how did you, how, do you remember when that one came to you? How, they, how you came up well, with it? Just quickly to backtrack a little, we always made a pact between the three of us, the three musketeers. We'll all write evenly. We'll all write, you know, if there's 12 songs on a record, there's four each or whatever it is three each at least so we always had about three songs or four songs each that we brought to the table and those went on the records cool so uh i need you to mention that was the second single from the first album which jerry did write that one and that was a big hit uh the tin man inventor highway you mentioned that that was on the second album we made a third album between after that which was called hat trick With and we actually love and all that yeah yeah we stepped out of the form a little bit it was kind of much to the chagrin of our manager at the time, who was David Geffen, a very powerful man even then, more powerful now, um, because they wanted us to write our own stuff. But for some reason, we were just so into our little world. And we found that song, Muskrat Love, on an old album, on well, a relatively new album in those days, and decided to cover, cover it. But then when we got to the fourth album, which was called Holiday, and we decided to get a producer, and we were so lucky to meet and talk with uh, George Martin, um, the Beatles producer, of course, for those of you who don't know, produced all the Beatles records. The fifth Beatle, as they called him. <laughs> there you go. Sir George Martin. I said, George, <laughs> we have to call you sir now that you're knighted. But, but he was a wonderful man, and we really wanted to be prepared for the album we worked with, the first album. We did seven albums with him, all told, including remixing the greatest hits. But um, he... We really wanted to be prepared, so we sat down again. Same process, brought all our songs to the table. I had the song Thin Man, and it was uh, loosely based on The Wizard of Oz, which was my favorite movie. May still be. I don't know if I was to say one movie. I love that movie. It, it had a profound effect on me as a kid. And It's hard to top. Yeah, it is hard to top. Uh, but, you know, past that, the, the obvious lyric about the, the wizard didn't give any of these characters their their um, needs, their emotions, their heart, their their brain, their courage, they had it already. That's the primary theme or message of, in that. But apart from that line in the song, the rest of it has very little to do with The Wizard of Oz. 
it's it's kind of a, a, a um, just another visual lyric. Uh, it doesn't hold together as a as a narrative as much. But like I said, I just like putting words together in some cases, and they mean something to me, but they don't necessarily have a literal meaning. For sure. For sure. Well, that's songwriting right there. Well, there were so many others that I like that you're saying the trio of you sort of made a pact and you bounced around and each of you did one. You know, there's Lonely People, Daisy Jane, Today's the Day, some Amber Cascade, so many we could do. But my listeners will kill me if I don't get a soundbite on Sister Goldenhair. Uh, that is a man. Um, I uh, not to date myself, but my dad would play Sister Goldenhair all the time growing up. It's just a classic. But um, tell me, but why do you, why do you think that one so works so well? Do you think it's just because so many people can relate to that idea of you know maybe going through a breakup or relationship issues and and just trying to wake up on Sunday and <laughs> being depressed, barely got to Monday? Like why why do you think it works? Is it universal? I think that very first line, and I'm speaking from my own perspective because Jerry Jerry wrote that one. Uh, I think that very first line just grabs you. I remember in English class or literature class. You know, the teacher would say, you've got to grab them with that first line or that first paragraph of your poem or your book or whatever the hell you're doing. And that line does grab you. But it's a great song anyway. It's structurally, it's really got nice passages in it. And, you know, the rocking ending and the slide guitar, which was, you know, an homage to George Harrison. And But Jerry had brought that, he'd written that, I think, during the second or third album. He always told me later on. I had that record knocking around and I can't remember him playing it. And there was some association with Jackson Brown, who was a friend of ours at the time, still is, but um, we were in the same office with, with him and all those guys at Geffen Records. But uh, so I don't know how much they collaborated, if at all, if it was just something that Jackson said, or maybe a chord or something. But that's all I know about it. But I agree with you that it's, um, it's got an appealing lyric and, and, a toe tapper all the way and by the end of it we've always got the crowd up when we play when we play there in frederick at the weinberg center on when march 12th we will um end the show with that and you can see it's always a great crowd reaction that that song's forever too oh they're gonna and, rise to their by the way, singing. yeah by the way that was the only other number one record we had single horse with no name and sister golden hair so there's another uh factor milestone whatever that, that song was Absolutely. part of and you mentioned slide guitar so is that what that is in the be in the beginning it's that that's right that's a slide man lap steel uh, talk about hooking you not only with the first lyric but also with that first guitar <laughs> we have, we're on board the rest of the way well <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> we, uh, as you know, we, we could literally go all day talking about your songs, but we won't do that. But, um, you know, talk about, um, I guess, some of the other, like, I guess more, you know, I guess landmarks uh, from the band in, in general. Like, I know, um, well, obviously, you, you know, you won a Grammy in 73, but in terms of like these life achievement kind of stuff, like you get in the Vocal Group Hall of Fame in 2006 and then the Hollywood Walk of Fame in 2012. Is it, was it rewarding that, you know, in turn of the millennium, people finally looking back and you did you have to pinch yourself to be like, wow, you know, what now we're, we're starting to get life achievement stuff? That's got to feel a little odd. <laughs> well, it's great. It really is, Jason. I mean, it's like uh, we... You don't expect a lot of things. Stuff happens by accident. Uh, certainly a lot of when your music gets placed in TV shows or movies or anything like that, you don't have any real 
control over that. It comes to the office's desk and we go, wow, you know, we're going to be in a Friends episode or Breaking Bad is using horseman name or something. Those are those are things along the way that are total bonuses. The Grammy was a great thing to get, although that was just bang. We won the Best New Artist Grammy of 1972. And that year was just, it's a blur. So much happened in the beginning. <laughs> but then as the years have gone, probably the Walk of Fame, the Hollywood Walk of Fame star, which is, I never even realized musicians got on the Hollywood. I thought it was all movie people. But when I first moved, I learned pretty soon that that wasn't the case. There's different arts, uh, different fields of artistry that, that get these stars. And the, the thing about that thing was my mother would have loved that. She was a big movie magazine and uh, from the old school Hollywood uh, thing. But unfortunately, she was she passed away by the time we got that. But, you know, it's, it's really nice to be acknowledged. But the biggest the biggest real crowning achievement for me is that we're still doing it. We're still playing live shows. We never broke up. Yes, Dan left the band in the late 70s, and we've had a series of different players in our band, but we keep we keep players for a long, long time. In fact, sadly, we lost our, our original drummer who was with us for 41 years, who had left the band about seven years ago. He passed away last month, which was sad, but but it's it's it just shows 41 years we had the same drummer. And we've had um we've had great people in our in our team. We're kind of a scaled down team now relative to the 70s and 80s when we had a very cumbersome touring group. But we can go out and play anything nowadays. We play all kinds of venues and theaters and festivals and casinos. And and it's great. That part is very rewarding because you're doing it in real time every night. Uh, and a lot of those songs, yeah, we've played for thousands of times. Uh, but it never loses its spark for me i really enjoy doing it oh that's really really good to hear well we're excited to see you but um before we run i really i want to remind our listeners because you mentioned that you know winning best new artist right out of the gate but i want to i want to tell our listeners who all you beat out that you're for that title it is like it is like a mount rushmore kind of stuff you beat out the eagles <laughs> harry <laughs> Ch harry chapin Loggins and messina and john prine i mean come on <laughs> Right. It was a heavy field. We thought at the time, well, forget it. We're not getting this. We're kind of new rookies. John Prine had been very respected singer songwriter. And Harry Chapin came to one of our shows that first year to give us some pointers on making our set better. And we knew all the Eagles because we were in the same office. Their album had come out a little uh, after our, our first album. And, you know, we sold more records, whatever. The Eagles have always been... Uh, right up there on my list of, of fantastic song, singer songwriters and same, same. guys and we were fortunate to come up with them and uh who else Loggins and Messina Kenny Loggins we worked with a lot and Jim Messina so and Jim Messina had come out of Buffalo Springfield who were a huge influence on us with the Neil Young Stephen Stills thing and of course we've always been aligned with these kind of CSN uh sound alikes and whatnot but all of those guys were in the office with us too. So it's just kind of a small world when you boil it down. We were all kind of together in the seventies. And uh, so it's great stuff. I, I appreciate you pointing that out. 
Yeah, true. And you actually, Joe Walsh actually worked with you all on Green Monkey before he even joined the Eagles, I think. So you got him first. Yeah, Joe's a good friend of mine. I was talking with him last night, actually. So did he say, how you doing? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, what you doing? He's yeah. I love Joe. He's one of the one of the great guys in this business. And he's seen a lot, done a lot. Big survivor guy. Yeah, he the the stories that man could tell. <laughs> Got um, it. Well, awesome. Well, I really, really appreciate you joining us, Dewey. And and again, just reminding everybody, it is the America. We're calling it the 50th anniversary tour, 52 technically, but you know, it's COVID is all one one blur year, so we'll call yeah. it the 50th anniversary tour. Right. Established yeah, 1970 sure. America. Um, it'll be live at the Weinberg Center here in Frederick, Maryland, on Saturday, March 12th, 7:30 p.m. Get your tickets now. Bring your dancing shoes. It's going to be a lot of fun. Thanks so much for doing this. Yeah. Thanks, Jason and uh, good luck to you and WTOP and we're looking forward to getting there. All right. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, sir. All right. Thanks, buddy. Take care. Thanks so much for joining us on Beyond the Fame with Jason Fraley. Remember to hit the subscribe button and give us a five-star rating if you like what you hear. We'll see you next time. wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all of the local shows that I like all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. Podcast D.C. is the new local app with hundreds of D.C. area podcasts to choose from. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. Available in the App Store or in Google Play, listen local with Podcast D.C.